You know, this time I'm gonna be like, oh man, I love horror games. <laughs> I'm a really a ghost. <laughs> All right, in the spirit of Halloween, this podcast is back from the dead. Yes. Uh, so we, the five of us, which is myself, Costa, John, Susie, and Chantel, um, we recorded half of this podcast, a uh, quarter of this podcast, um, and a certain platform, which it can go unnamed. Uh, shall not be named. Shall not be named. Um, but we'll get a strongly worded uh, email from our producer, John. John, we've got something we want you to do. Uh, we'll talk to you after. I'm, I'm uh, just going to send them an angry audio voice message <laughs> with like real menacing music behind it. Do it I hope it cuts platform. out a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cool. So we're back. We are doing a special Halloween episode for Cafe Bullions. Mm. I know Halloween has passed. By the time this comes out, it'll be a couple days over, but that's okay. It uh, it hangs around just like a an old pumpkin. We are Unless you're out. listening to this next year, in which case, enjoy your Halloween. <laughs> yeah, we're early. <laughs> it's overzealous. Um, and represented by, depending if we do the video for this for. Majora's mask over here. We've got the Christmas hat because it's 2nd of November. Mm. I don't waste time. <laughs> yeah, like Christmas. Uh, yes, this, Christmas is my dream. You've moved on quite quickly. I have, I have. I really wanted to get a, uh, a real-life Christmas tree for this um, office, but Costa didn't seem too thrilled, so <laughs> we will not be doing that. Uh, we'll settle for this one. <laughs> yeah, might get a plastic one. Anyway, we are talking about... Costa, what are we talking about? We're talking about horror games so we're talking about what makes a good horror game um before we cut out we were talking about a bunch of different horror games john was talking about how he was quite scared of horror games and uh, doesn't <laughs> like to venture into that territory um and yeah let's uh let's jump into it what horror games do we like we i spoke about phasmophobia which uh, we had to do a podcast with uh, Chantel playing that game, and we were—I think Alex and I were probably pretty bad at that game. We uh, we died quite often, but um, it was a fun game, and I like that game because of the the spookiness of it. Right? There's a lot of complexity to that game, um, a lot of like tools that you have to use to uh, figure out the the being that's uh, haunting the house or the the the, the level um and i like the i like the uh the working together i like i love that aspect to to the game like the survival aspect but the the relying on other people to to go through that um and we spoke about a couple of different genres but yeah what's what what games do we like and what games don't we like i mean i brought up left foot dad Alia, I think Left for Dead was a great example of the survival horror genre and a really good example of a game in which you have to work together in order to survive. And I think what's really beautiful about horror is that it actually brings a huge amount of joy with it, particularly in interactive games where you're in these kind of horrifying situations and you know your brain kind of thinks you're gonna die but then sometimes you don't 
and you and your friends actually clutched up, you worked together to survive, you know, your best friend took out that zombie creeping up behind you that was about to take your brains out, and you kind of had this, like, ecstatic exhilaration of joy when you made it through together, and you kept each other alive, and, like, where else do you really get that except for the horror genre? Mm. Working not fill at Foodland, that's the other place you get. <laughs> <laughs> Just hustling to get it done. <laughs> yep. No, I agree with that That uh, that teamwork. Actually, I want to play with your friends because when I play with Costa and, and Fish, it's more other conversation going on on the side and then me just, or one of us being like, wait, do you guys see that? Do you see that? Do you see that? And they're just continuing their conference. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes teamwork can be a crux. Um, but no, 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 I'm just joking. I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's survival. That's like a survival horror uh, genre game. Mm. Yeah. About you, yeah, Susie. that co-op thing. That's cool. Yeah, the co-op thing's really cool. I think, and like, um, again, like, uh, obviously, I play a lot of board games and like Arkham Horror and things like that, like Matches of Madness, that kind of stuff. Like, that the best part about those games is the co-op stuff. So again, like, you're playing with people. You're both playing against a common enemy, and you're doing yeah. things that work together. Um, same way. Same like in Phasmophobia, you've got that end goal and all the stuff that goes into it. And that's like, I get really bored in a lot of, um, like I'm not very competitive, so I get really bored in competitive things. Mm. So something like that keeps me more interested. So I'm way more likely to play something with a co-op element, I think. Like board game or digital, that's the cool part. And like uh, John was saying earlier, the narrative, like I care a lot about the narrative. Like I'll keep playing for a good narrative, but if it's like, there's a bad guy at the end, like, I'm probably out. <laughs> Actually, um, one thing I saw on your list, uh, Costa, is Fatal Frame under mm. Survival Horror. Mm. Um, I've played a bit of that and I've watched, like, video essays on it and stuff. That's that's one I really like because, uh, like, the actual concept of it's really cool about, for people who haven't played it, it's basically um, you have to try and take pictures of ghosts and spirits um and depending on which version you're playing sometimes it like reveals backstory to the characters that became those ghosts um and i think that's like a really cool storytelling mechanism um also like while from my understanding while you can die in them it's not like you always die and so for me that whole concept of like being able to do a horror game where like death isn't the only outcome for the only fail point or whatever um that to me is where it gets really interesting as well because i think horror has like so there's like so many different types of games that could be explored in the horror subgenre. um but yeah it'd be interesting to see more of them mm. yeah like um, i was just gonna say like john have you played this game called um everybody's gone to the rapture i feel like i've recommended oh, it to you before yeah i haven't played it but that's a walking simulator type of is it would you call it horror yeah yeah uh well i would but i don't think it would be called horror and the reason Mm. i'd call it horror is because it's like a susanna game where you walk around and you look at things but (laughs) the things that that you're like looking at you're like uncovering stories of what happened in this place and the thing that happened in this place was like really horrific (laughs) yeah well that's a whole other type of i don't even know if you call it horror but it's that kind of like 
real unsettling backstory that's not it's yeah. not jump scare i think for me it's like when because i was saying before how i hate horror games i don't enjoy jump scares but i do enjoy horror when it's not jump scares and so um yeah a- any you're, game suggestions yeah for that a bit of a psychological horror person mm. oh totally totally yeah mm. If you can mess me up in the head, oh, I'll love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that's why you like Silent Hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Because the stuff that you make up on your head, all the stuff that is scarier to you, because you know what's the scariest thing to you, right? But the game designer doesn't. They're making what's scariest to them on their demographic. But like with psychological horror and stuff like that, you're going, oh, what is that thing? Is it that thing that I'm most scared of? Oh, shit, it probably is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing how effective it can be when it's that whole, like, you don't see what's going on. I know, like, we were, we were talking about, like, other shows and games that do this kind of thing, but it's it's amazing how something like that can stick with you. It's like, even if you didn't see it, it can yeah. still somehow stick with you. It's, like, less powerful when you see the monster, mm. right? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like, you're, uh, <laughs> That's the, uh, you know, kind of a almost, not a rule of horror, but one of the kind of strong recommendations is that you do not show your monster because you'll never be able mm, to wow. conjure up anything more frightening than mm. what the viewer or the player has already made up in their head that is like yeah. perfectly crafted mm. to their terror you just you can't yeah. with it i've read somewhere that recently and i don't know if this is true or not so maybe you guys would know this um not a game but on that topic of not showing your monster um uh, fudge what's it called that's the movie The Witch is there you're in you're in a forest there's a witch Blair Witch Blair Witch yeah what a what a title to forget um apparently the it's scene a <laughs> apparently the scene where they're like running from the witch in the forest they I don't know if this is true it sounds not but whatever I'm committing to it um that shows them <laughs> running but the camera guy never panned to the witch who was supposed to actually see it but they were saying it's probably good that they didn't because it was just like someone dressed up in like yeah. long johns, basically, mm-hmm. like yeah. all white, um, and that would have like ruined it. Yeah, for me, the movie that captured that was Insidious. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but like the build-up to the demon in that was incredible, and I was like, I really enjoyed the experience. And then when you see the demon, it's not that it was bad. It's just like like Chantel was saying, you could not possibly make something that matches the hype that they had built up to that point. And I was just like, I just felt disappointed. Yeah, I checked out of that movie yeah. at like that mm-hmm. second I was in, and then they sh- yeah. they revealed the demon, and then I was out. Yeah, the, the, thing, I, the thing I liked about Insidious, where the, the way they revealed it was it was it, it was in a moment you wouldn't even expect it. Not even like a jump scare, mm-hmm. but it was just like. It's a scene where they're having a hot conversation, and then yeah. it's like, <laughs> and you're like, That's right. what? Yeah. yeah, I like that about the reveal. Yeah, so There's I apologies for interrupting, but before no, we go. move on, um, interesting anecdote from my game designer experiences. Mm. So, the first game we ever really made and put out into the world was a little psychological horror game called Unhurt. And um, it, you know, I don't know. I'd call it a walking simulator because it's really inspired by the '90s, like point-and-click adventure genre. So, you know, there's more kind of interaction and item puzzles, etc. 
Um, but it does take place in this dilapidated old house. You are the early character in that, and you're kind of exploring this big old house and trying to figure out what the heck's going on. We have these kind of sounds happening in the house, and we never reveal. Um, and you're like an attached entity, but you do find out what the sound is. Um, I won't spoil it, but I will say that the most interesting thing for me about the game was watching people play it and listening to them make up scary things in their head mm. that they thought were happening that were absolutely not happening. And my best <laughs> example for this is that not just one, but three or four people I watched play the game, um, we would kind of have, the, have these zoom-ins into items and scenes that you would look at and then you would like close that zoom you'd come back to the room you were just in. And people would kind of, they'd flinch and they'd be like, did the lights get darker? The lights just dimmed. Why are the lights darker now? And like that, like that was not in the game. That was not programmed. There was like this pure psychological phenomenon going on where they're like, it's scarier now. Everything is just <laughs> scary. Um, yeah, and the, there were a lot of little moments like that where people are just like, oh, I heard something. And I'm like, no, you didn't. But, like, <laughs> have at it, buddy. Have at it. <laughs> That's cool. You, you know what's funny is uh, this game Chantel was talking about, um, what was the name of it again? Unhome. Unhome, that's right. That So I did play it. Chantel sent oh. me a link. This is one of the uh, horror games I've actually finished. <laughs> one of the very few. Um, the thing that got me through is that I was messaging Chantel on Discord asking her for like the walkthrough, basically. <laughs> I held your hand. Yeah, pretty much. We walked through the house together. It is. It was the director's commentary version. There we go. So what is it that you, that you can do in the game that um, can kind of create that feeling of like you know uneasiness or like what what is it you can do that could kind of seep into someone's you know mind oh yeah i mean there are so many things that you can do and also like because of that limitless potential a lot of horror is actually about whittling down to these kind of core aspects of the experience that you're going to focus on you don't want to overstimulate or you don't want to make things too gimmicky by trying to like throw in like everything horror um, mm. so for us approaching the game design um, you know like there were kind of like the visuals so this very like dreary feeling going on in the visuals and these um, there's a concept called the uncanny and it was um kind of made famous by Sigmund Freud who wrote an essay on it but he posits that the uncanny is that which seems familiar but is not so something mm. you're like you know you're used to seeing and it looks like that thing you're familiar with but you can just tell something is off about it something slightly changed that's that feeling of uncanniness and so like that is kind of what I personally really lean hard into when I'm making horror. So, you know, we've got a house, but there are strange things in the house. So we've got, like, broken dolls lying around. At some point, you find an eyeball in a sink, like a kitchen sink. Um, and, yeah, we've got sounds. The sound design is incredibly important, I believe, for any kind of interactive horror experience. 
bringing mm. those bodily feelings in. I think base is something that mm. is really neglected. Um, or not, I don't think it's neglected. I think like sound designers and composers instinctively feel how important that like horror base is, but I don't think people talk about it very often. Well, that's actually interesting because that also depends if people are playing on headphones or if they've got speakers. Yeah. Whether you actually feel the bass, absolutely, or not. yeah. But yeah. yeah, so sound can it can bring that like sensory bodily feeling into the horror experience when you're feeling that thump like in your chest and in your head. Yeah, um, it's very important for that whole implying that something's there as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, like once you kind of learn the horror sounds and what they are, and then you go like watch a movie or something that uses them, you just realize just like how many scenes people use like they'll take a symbol and scrape it and that that is like one of the horror uh, like sounds that's everywhere yeah. and it's used so often but like you kind of don't realize and but it's just like it's implying so much in all of those scenes that like it is a scary scene it doesn't even need to tell you that it's a scary scene it just implies it and then your body kind of does the rest mm. yeah so there's a there's a part of it as well that i want to get into something that Michael Fischetti from Blue Moon Games wrote. Um, he was about to jump on, but was uh, was couldn't. Um, that the idea that uh, you know horror is really a reflection of the the mental, the human psyche, the mm. human condition. Um, you know, and if you're someone who, I guess, as you get older, you deal with a lot of you know your life is a collective experience of. Uh, not just like not on the nose scary things like mental scary things like shame uh, abuse um, things like that those things are probably you know common tropes with a lot of horror writers let's say so Michael wrote I think what makes a good horror game is something that thematically deals with venturing into the unknown or what makes us uncomfortable blood gore and jump scares are just the extra spice on top to make it more authentic the game should make the player underpowered and give the player the option to just run away rather than fight as it gambles with the player's true response of fight or flight as humans. Also, uncomfortable doesn't just mean there is a scary zombie in the room with me, it means dealing with the themes that are disturbing in the human condition, such as violence, racism, and other taboo social issues. Examples of these games. Silent Hill 2, which we touched on before. Silent Hill 2 deals with neglect, depression, body shaming, abuse, and sexual frustration. Silent Hill 3 deals with the stresses and anxiety of a young girl going to adulthood. Bioshock Infinite deals with class issues, racism, and the disturbing side of patriotism and nationalism. So there's something... something what I would want to know probably with that is, as someone who doesn't play a lot of horror games, but can definitely resonate with a lot of those sorts of themes, um, how, how would you convey to a player these themes? Mm. So how would you, if you, if you were like, I want you to play Silent Hill 2 mm. and you aren't, haven't been too exposed or you aren't aware of the feelings of neglect, depression, body shaming, abuse, and sexual frustration, if you've managed to avoid all these kind of, you know, instances in your, in your life, is the game then lost on you? Or is that what he says about how um, blood gore or jump scares are the extra spice on top? Like, is that just lost on you? Interesting story. Silent Hill 2, right? My partner, Josh, he, he 
nominates Silent Hill 2 as the reason why he's not an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, like this is like, he says that like literally that game changed his life because it like put him in a place where he goes, okay, like everybody has like messed up feelings sometimes or guilt or like things that don't fit inside like what should be shown in different situations. But like, how do you deal with those? You still have to deal with those repressed feelings, like, mm. and that's what that game's about, right? It's about mm. like, oh, like you know, this thing's happening, and I can't share my true feelings in this situation, so all this messed up stuff's happening. But you can't just not do that because that is going to lead to I don't know, pyramid head hitting you, right? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you you have to do that. So you like, you have to be a well-rounded person you have to accept your feelings you have to deal with those in a healthy manner mm. like so, so so even if you're not into that like like even if you haven't experienced those things i yeah. think games like that can help you put those things into perspective or you can apply those to your life mm. that's a good point so it's the writing has to be really the writing has to be strong enough to evoke that to awaken that or make you realize make you ob- make it obvious to you in the real world that these are these are real issues yeah i think that's like one of the powers of like any really good art but games being interactive can be exceptionally good at it is that whole it's yeah teaching you giving you a different perspective and like i i couldn't put down any one game but i know i've gained so much from so many games um actually no we did talk on a recent episode about um dysphoria for me, was so there was a new Newgrounds Flash game about um, gender uh, mm. and sex transition and like what it's like for one from one person's perspective to be going through that, and that was like probably the thing for me that kind of gave me the insight to that world just because it wasn't my world. And I like any time that topic comes up for me, it's like that that is what started that insight into that perspective for me, and I hope has given me like a like a broader understanding of it yeah so that's interesting because there's a there's a game i'm in the early stages of making very very like all i've got is like dot points and one of the themes i want kind of in there is um is like an isolation kind of thing but kind of out of um how do you say it like by by um like ex- experiencing um you know being left alone as a kid or something like that but not like not being able to play with anyone or not uh like living in a like living in this area like in a game let's say that's a wide open area but there's just no one there to talk to those kind mm. of those kind of feelings so mm. that kind of idea as well of if you haven't been if you aren't aware of it if you're not educated on the subject whether it's who's saying with Silent Hill, uh, neglect, depression, body shaming, sexual abuse, uh, that uh, game you were just talking about, John, where it's um, dealing with um, transitioning, not something that a lot of people haven't experienced. It's, it's It falls on the writing and the design mm. to to basically bring you down, to like tear someone down to who hasn't had those things to go, all right, here is, here's where you're going to start from. This is what it... You've got nothing, and now let's build that feeling into you, so you can experience it along with us. Yeah, it's like creating the experience of of going through that without saying like this is what is like without explicitly saying this is what's happening. It's like 
you're feeling. Yeah, it's an empathetic yeah. process, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. actually, I wanted to read uh, a tweet I made, which feels a bit funny. I'm mm. going to quote myself now, but just because I put slightly <laughs> more thought into it than I am able to right now. Um, I'll read this out there. I said, Hara is a Shana directly concerned with engaging with trauma and processing the emotional experiences and ramifications of it. Good Hara is an empathetic process. And um, I actually had a response from someone who made an absolutely incredible psychological Hara game called The Signifier. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but um, if you're into psychological horror, it's absolutely one of the masterpieces of the genre. Um, and he added that good horror is also concerned with sadness, fear, and the inability to overcome something. I believe that if horror can connect the spectator or player with that which his or her soul is unwilling to face, it's creating an opportunity, a gift. Um, and yeah, I thought that was incredibly poignant. Um, the name is David Fenner, mm. by the way. And yeah, mm. like I, I strongly, strongly believe this. Um, I'll share with you a, a small anecdote of uh, being someone who loved horror growing up. I, you know, when I was five, I saw my first horror movie. I think it was Child's Play, and I just fell in love with it. Um, there was something that seemed really core to the human experience that had been kept from me all my life until that moment. Um, there was just, you know, there were all these different emotions and feelings that had never been part of my life awareness until the moment I saw screaming and blood and guts and fear and horror in this movie. And I was like, what is this? And I was intrigued. <laughs> Um, so I went on to absolutely just consume everything horror I could from age five and then take me all the way through to when I was 12 or 13 in seventh grade. And one day I was homesick from school and I came to school the next day and I had a line of kids at my desk in the morning who were just kind of lined up to report to me a strange thing that had happened the day before. And I was told that the teacher had sat the entire class down on the floor and she had had a chat to them about me. And she had explained (laughs) to them that I had a dark mind and that they should not listen to a word I say because, yeah, obviously I had quite a bit of power in that classroom. Um, but yeah, um, essentially she was just like, she has a dark mind. She's, you know, she writes about these horrible things. She's obsessed with death and murder and horror and all the rest of it. Um, and that was a really interesting point in my life because I, it was the first time I stopped and went, why am I like this? Like, do I have a dark mind? like the answer is yes in a way I do um, but I think for me um, there, there are multiple reasons I love horror but maybe the most is that I actually I'm a very kind of like loving person and I'm really fascinated by the way that humans can treat other people 
and mm. I'm particularly, you know, like my love for psychological horror is like I like to investigate and try to figure out how people can do bad things to each other. Like what are these mental processes that happen in order to, you know, cause one human to do harm to another? Um, yeah, like engaging with the darkness of the world is not an embracing of the darkness of the world. Sometimes it is mm. getting to know your enemy in a way. Mm. Yeah, and the and the fact that horror is such a huge genre in all art is means that you are not the only one. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. it's a, and it's and you were talking about Freud before and like psychology and like so much of it's looked at all these kind of. I mean, we could call it dark sides of humanity, but I, I think that's giving it a disservice in some ways because that makes people want to kind of reject it or repress it. Um, there's like, depending on what it is, sometimes you don't want to act it out, but there's a lot of things we don't want to act out that come through our minds that aren't necessarily like horror thoughts kind of thing. And so I think you're right in saying it is a part of the human experience that is obviously there and very important for various reasons. So... Um, a lot of like horror media is a great way to explore that in a hopefully safe way <laughs> yeah that's a good point i feel like it'd be scarier for someone to not uh to react like deadpan to mm. those kind of things like isn't there a, a psychopath essentially if you have no emotion yeah empathy of, like, of any kind yeah. there's that uh i don't remember what they call it it's, it's a recent thing chantelle you might know this um uh, all of you might know this, um, but just Chantel because she's doing anthropology. Um, the idea of when you... It's like the cute puppy syndrome, whatever uh, it is. Where aggression. You, huh? What? Cute aggression? Is cute, it? Aggression. cute aggression. Yeah. yeah. Where it's just an overload, isn't it? Of just like you've seen something cute and you're like... you're. I think, isn't it? Because we're like... Yeah. Hunters, yes. That it's just like, I need to counteract this. puppy. <laughs> yeah, some people are like, oh, it's so cute. I want to throw it against a wall. Yeah, like sometimes <laughs> yeah, I say to my son, I look at him and I'm like, you're so cute. I just want to eat you. And I'm like, where did that go? Yeah. Like, what compelled yeah. me? Because I didn't think about that mm. first. Like, why did I just yeah. tell my son I would like to eat him? And I'm a vegan too, so that like that really doubles up the absurdity <laughs> of the statement. You're like, I would break my one <laughs> rule. So I can just have a bite of you, actually. And I yeah. do bite him sometimes, or sometimes. I don't know what I'm going to do. He finds it hilarious. So it's fine. It's, but like, yeah. Oh, well, that's the main the, thing. It's just compulsion. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all in the response to the body. Yeah. Right. It's consensual it's, it's biting, into, guys. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it ties into a, uh, an article I saw around why are horror games so appealing. And it kind of touches on this, this as well. Because it says, it says, in a 2014 study by Teresa Lynch and Nicole Martins titled Nothing to Fear, an analysis of college students fear experiences with video games, they discovered that after playing horror games such as Amnesia and Silent Hill, over half of the study's subjects experienced fear immediately followed by a sense of joy and excitement. This suggests that the rush and thrill of a scary moment, be it in person or on a screen, can cause an uptick of emotions that not only scares us but excites us. Even though we all have our own version of what scares us, we all tend to have a similar reaction afterwards. In psychology, there's a term called excitation transfer theory. And excitation transfer theory is the belief that aggressive responses to one thing will lead to a stimulus of, emo of another emotion without us being aware that it's happening. And this can happen during a jump scare or a su suspenseful build-up. That's... 
quite <laughs> similar. There's a whole thing about like if you take someone on a first date, you meant to take them somewhere scary because their body will like think that they're excited. Um, <laughs> having said that, I know someone who took their first date to go see Snowtown oh, <laughs> about the Snowtown murders. I, um, I don't think that worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as I know, that didn't work out. So. What? Okay, but I, I would say it would have to depend on the level of fear. Like, yeah, I think I think people are talking about like roller coasters and yeah, that the kind of coaster, right? yeah. Yeah. thrill. It's right? like it's yeah. a scary thing in a well, fun environment. Yeah, like, I was talking earlier about you know Left for Dead and surviving an exhilaration, and I do wonder how much is just the brain kind of rewarding itself for surviving that moment. Mm-hmm. I, I like. Uh, I'll say the scariest game I've ever played Harry Potter (laughs) Chamber of Secrets (laughs) because of the fucking spider scene I have never been that scared and that did not reward me that did not reward me in any way I am never playing that game again I do not watch that movie I am Definitely, definitely, definitely scared of spiders. I stop breathing. I freak. But the Alex, hell. I, I, you I have can't a big do it. Smile on your face right now, recalling this moment. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a, that's more like a. I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, that, that, exactly. I'm not thinking about the spider. Yeah. A, Psychological yeah. reaction. I cried. I, my sister had to sit with me. I was. I was 24. <laughs> no, I was like. So, so you're saying it's a bonding seven, experience yeah. as well, then? Yeah, there you go. Probably no, it just was home. It just sounds like a good experience, Alex. It was horrible. I remember I drank a lot of water. For some reason, my sister was just like, "Have a glass of water." <laughs> Italians don't deal with trauma very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that the way that we deal with like like scary situations in games is the same as real life? Because I know, like, for me, like, like I'm not a flight or flight, I'm a freeze person, right? So it's not mm. scary, I just, like, stand still. Like, so if there's snakes, I'm fine, right? Because I'll just stand still, like, that's cool. But if there's a spider, it'll be, like, on me before I yeah. move. Oh, so that kid like, in the Spider-Man movies who, like, a truck's coming towards <laughs> them, and they just stand there, and you're like, move! Yeah, and I die a bit, right? <laughs> but, like, that's the same. Like, in, like, say, Phasmophobia the other day, like everybody's like oh the, the ghost is coming right at you like get out the way get out the way and i'm like ah! like, you know, like i cannot move so i just yeah. stand there and then i'm dead and and that's that's it like is that the same for you guys like do you do the same whatever method you do do you do that in game i don't i don't do this but you just remind me of like single player horror games where people freak out and they hit pause and then they're just like stuck on that's the pause me. screen and they're like yeah. don't want to yeah, I definitely fight when I'm when I feel threatened. I I do that reflexive punch thing, like you know in the prank videos <laughs> where like they try to prank them and then the uh, gets punched. Uh, like that's yeah. been, like all my friends learned very quickly. Like do not like do that. Um, <laughs> it's funnily enough, like I actually do not like survival games where I can fight back, and I think that's because I feel too empowered. I'm like, no, like, you gave me a gun, like, I'm good, like, oh, no, not enough yeah. bullets, it's fine, I'm a crack well, shooter, I got, like, I got this. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. Well, horror is a lack of agency, exactly, right? Yeah. Like, if you've got too I'm much agency. I'm against yeah. having agency in our game. Oh, you know, early <sighs> enough to take away, like, strategically take it away. Mm. 
I'm pretty sure making horror games is exactly the same as making games about domestic violence. Just saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, everything that we've talked about is... Well, I mean, I would say <laughs> domestic yeah. violence is horror, like, psychological horror. Mm. I, like, yeah. as a horror writer, domestic violence is absolutely something I write about. And actually, my first ever adult horror novel was um, one of Stephen King's least known works. I read it when I was six, which was quite young. It was called um, Rose Matter, and it opened. I actually won't go into it because it's quite triggering. Um, but yeah, absolutely, like a very horrific uh, domestic violence story. Mm. And that was my like real introduction to adult horror and real psychological horror. Where and going back to what you guys said before about like can horror teach us about things that we have no frame of reference for. I was six years old and I was reading this story about domestic violence and I read the whole thing enraptured and like it had a very vivid betrayal, a portrayal of um, these relationship dynamics between this wife and this husband and how uh, not just physically but mentally abusive he was and I remember being this very small child reading this and I was just going I will never let this happen to me like I will mm -hmm. never I will like keep my eye out and like I was really like processing what I was reading because I was so pulled into like this like empathetic process of like being this woman who was being berated and abused and so like I like absolutely took that forward in the entire rest of my life I've always had very strong boundaries around what, like how I'll allow people to treat me and I like I genuinely believe that in the back of my head that story and like reading about this like just unacceptable treatment that this woman tolerated and you know at a certain point was forced to tolerate as sadly happens in domestic violence relationships um yeah I think that changed the trajectory of my life essentially kind of like how your partner Susie mentioned you know Silent Hill change that trajectory mm. wow that's so cool mm. I'm like stuck well that's the thing it's they, they, they can be like the the horror genre could be quite like powerful confronting and confronting yeah, yeah. and it could change <laughs> you know the that's way uh react. yeah Susie your game uh Hannah mm. is it so I guess yeah. you wouldn't call it horror but it, it does all those same things that we've talked about yeah, yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, I think so. Well, like Alex said, like when he played Hannah, he said that thing about like um, that not a day goes by that he doesn't think about like mm. talking to Hannah. And like, mm. so, yeah, I, I guess so. Like it had that impact of, at least on you, Alex, of like what, that experience was something that you don't want to have like personally mm. and you don't want to see someone have, right? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a very good point. It's, would you would you say it has you know elements of psychological horror in that? Well, the stuff we've talked about, yeah, like yeah. that that idea of like what's going on. Um, there's a lot of like hidden like like what's happening off the screen. Like mm. that that's one of the main mechanics of the game, right? Like what doesn't Anna say to you? <laughs> yeah, sense of dread. Yeah, like when when. Yeah, when she says uh, there was the, there's a decision, a choice. She says, "What should I do?" And I'm pretty sure you say, "Don't do that." And she's like, "I'm gonna do it. I'll I'll let you know soon." 
and you're like, oh god, <laughs> like yeah, if you're an overthinker, you realize, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a nightmare. So I think yeah, and what, that sorry, that on. element is designed to show you that like you can't or you don't always know the situation of somebody else. Yeah. So like you can give advice and feedback, but you can't like then be mad if they don't take it because you yeah. don't know what they're experiencing. Only Hannah knows mm. what's actually going on, yeah, right? Which yeah. like I love hearing about this and the thought that has gone into this Susie um, you know, on so many levels actually. But it really <laughs> it makes me think of, you know, I am a creative writer that has kind of come over to video games. Um, from that more traditional writing place and it is the interactivity of video games that is so fascinating um, to me as a storyteller because you can do things like you've just experienced where you can bring people in to not just a story but like you can make them a participant in this person like an active participant and that yeah. like creates this kind of empathetic connection that like a traditional story will never be able to replace because you have this personal connection and this interaction with it and like yeah I think you know I'm going back to Unherm again that was what I was really excited about making um, a, you know a psychological horror game but like the game is fundamentally a story it's um, actually, Alex, I bit my tongue on this earlier, but you were talking about isolation narratives. And so Unherm is actually about an agoraphobe. And for those who don't know, mm. an agoraphobe is someone who essentially has a phobia of leaving their house, going outside, leaving mm. this safe space. Um, they can get really bad panic attacks if they try to leave, or sometimes they do manage to leave and they kind of, like have a panic attack and like have to get back home right away um so it's about the experience of kind of like being somebody who is very isolated and can't you know like overcome themselves to join like others and like close off this loneliness and also explores you know what might lead a person to become agoraphobic um, but, sir, so I bring this up because um, it's one thing to write about the story of an agoraphobe, but what I did for Unherm was I was like, okay, here is games. Like, this is a medium in itself. We can do more than write a story. We can bring a player into the embodied experience of what it is and what it means and how it feels to be this person experiencing a state of being that we would ordinarily never experience. Um, so like the kind of primary mechanic of Unherm that I developed was panic attacks. So in the game when you're kind of like engaging with things that psychologically confront the character that you're playing, you'll actually begin to have a panic attack and so like your breath will begin to calm very quickly and your vision will start to cloud and become increasingly cloudy and you know you've got this like fast breath track going on and there's like this typing mechanic where intrusive thoughts begin to come in to your head and you're essentially like trying to like um 
type these thoughts before your panic attack kind of like completes and overtakes mm-hmm. you. And so I like I tried really hard to, as best as I could, recreate the feeling of having a panic attack for people who might never have experienced that so they could kind of engage for the first time with how it might feel to be someone who's um, struggling with these genuinely like horrible psychological like um, roadblocks and barriers that they experience mm. so cool. there's a I guess that's a thing a, a, a question I've been wondering throughout the whole thing I guess that kind of ties it is as a horror writer do you how necessary is it to uh, and without you know um, sharing anything you don't normally want to say and everything like that as let's just talk as general how necessary is it for a horror writer to experience the horrors like it can you be a good horror writer without experiencing any kind of like trauma in your life like if we if we if one of the things that we've said so you know the mm. the question we've asked at the with this title of the podcast is what makes a good horror game mm. and a common occurrence seems to be like a trauma mm. or a trigger or something like that if you are lucky enough to not have one of these things can you actually be a, a horror writer that is an excellent question it's one i've you know it has crossed my mind in the past because obviously i know quite a lot of um horror writers and I would say that all of them do have some kind of fundamental trauma. Sorry, I have to pause. Are you guys getting this, like, feedback sound? Yeah. Yep. Um, can we... Oh, mark clip. Is that the button? There you go. I've added a marker, so when I download it, I know where to cut. Is it... Does someone have their phone <laughs> um, to the mic? Yeah, it sounds like someone's phone. <laughs> it's usually mine, isn't it, when it's that? Yeah. Just you eat it across the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's not mine. Is that better? Yes. Yep. Yep. We're good. Was it my phone? I don't know. I think we all just threw our phones. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so you were Um, asking. Yep. Go for it. Sir, do horror writers have trauma? Great question. Um, Yeah, sir, most horror writers, if not all, who I have had kind of like intimate talks with, um, do have trauma or a defining trauma in their backgrounds um i'm sometimes i feel like almost everybody has some kind of genuine trauma in their lives i actually find it quite rare um and you know as both an anthropologist and an incredibly nosy person i do often (laughs) dig into people's lives way more than a normal human would um and i do try to kind of you know, get people's genuine stories. I try to learn their histories and, you know, having them feel safe enough to share their traumas with me um, is something that I find really important to connecting with a person. So I do kind of dig in and I often will hear just, you know, the most normal seeming people always seem to be grappling with something. And every time someone tells me there's nothing traumatic in their background, so I'm like, okay, but really, <laughs> like, but let's let's be real. Not that you know anyone knows me any of their stories. Um, but yeah, so I'm. 
it like that really does tie into the question maybe that speaks to this kind of universal attraction or at least this very wide attraction to horror is that everyone has at least that sense of something that went way out of their boundaries of comfort and um here is someone who you know a creator who has engaged with that um and like personally for me i definitely come from like a you know my childhood was not easy um by the vast majority of people's standards i had to deal with a lot and i do genuinely believe that horror for me was very much like a way in which i would prove to myself that i could handle things that were hard or scary and so like i would try to watch the scariest things i could find to prove to myself that i wasn't afraid of like big scary things and you know like beyond just like horror as a creative medium i remember i would like lock myself in like theater pitch black strange like my school had this like weird crevice like a concrete dusty crevice in like the bathrooms and like the yeah it the was crevice, the crevice <laughs> and all the kids would like sometimes <laughs> open the door and look into this pitch black it was just like it was the space between two walls that just seemed to go on forever and it was like the scary place where like no one ever went and i was like i'm gonna go in there. lock me in um yeah. but and like it wasn't to prove it to anybody else it was to prove it to me that i you know nothing could beat me like nothing could make me lose control of myself and i think horror all my life has been an outlet for that and one i've really appreciated it was definitely a kind of psychological training um so mm. i think you know everyone's going to have a different story but um yeah like i also i think empathy has always been really important to me i suspect it would have come naturally but having had a difficult childhood and knowing what it is like to kind of suffer physically emotionally um i have felt very compelled to understand other people's suffering and make them feel less alone and so like i think psychological horror for me is really an active engaging with these things that genuinely happen to people that makes them feel alone you know like these traumas that we hide inside of ourselves i kind of really like i feel very strongly about becoming familiar with them learning about them and going to people and saying hey like i've never been through this but you know what like i i've tried my best to learn and here's what i understand and like you can share with me and this is a safe space and i think horror can be that friend for people when you don't have that friend in your real life you can go by you know a horror novel you can play a hard game you can um you know we're talking about whether your game Suzy is you know a horror game personally i'm constantly classifying like media as horror when they do not have the media or the horror tag like i do it so i probably would with yours um but yeah like i do think that 
these things make people feel less alert and things speak yeah. to them where no one else has ever spoke to them before and that is incredibly valuable yeah yeah totally very is, powerful is there a um uh if so to write horror in it if it comes from a place of um like trauma and it's target audience i guess the people who can resonate with with subject matter is there any kind of uh like is there like a nuanced way to to, to deliver that like the the overarching question i guess with that is what are the not responsibilities because the answer is there is no responsibilities right but like if you're dealing with a like a, a traumatic subject matter is there a a thought process to go like how do we not just bring up raw emotion to the player like because because that's like you know you, it's that's like saying does a horror game need a happy ending and answer is obviously no but is there a nuanced way that horror writers um because like because you were touching on it, you were saying um it, it makes a place of comfort that you can go to like I guess I'm wondering how, like how, how, how does it become comfortable if it's without bringing stuff up, you know? I mean, like, I think that sometimes the comfort is in the bringing stuff up. If like, and, you know, sometimes subject matter can both trigger you and comfort you in a way. It can stir up all sorts of memories that you haven't thought about for a while or that you try to kind of not think about or feelings that you tend to push down but bringing this up can actually become cathartic um, when you have been like holding back these floodgates for a long time I think that you can find that by actually engaging with and confronting these like scary thoughts and feelings that you've been avoiding um, it's yeah, yeah. Especially if a game gives you the power to like do something about that, right? Or like mm. handle that in a different yeah, way. Yeah, like, like a different way of thinking. If you can, about it. it doesn't yeah. like. I personally think, you know, everyone's different. Every horror writer, every writer, every human's gonna have a totally different take on this. Um, but I do think that, yeah, like there are different different things are going to resonate differently with different people and so I don't think there needs to be an answer or a solution I don't think to find catharsis you necessarily need you know like to be empowered and like change the script although that can be incredibly um, helpful there's something called uh, I think reenactment therapy that people can do in which they reenact their traumas but at the end they like they change the ending in the reenactment in order to like reclaim the situation um, and I think that you know media can be a way of like lightly doing this um, but I think also that just acknowledging that these feelings are real and they happen can make people feel more connected to other humans they can say wow someone understands you know me or my experiences or other people have experienced this 
or like I'm not alone in the world like it's not just me and that I really think that is such an incredibly powerful feeling yeah that's that's incredibly nuanced mm. different for everyone yeah mm. so let's uh-huh. I was gonna say let's let's open like let's let's wrap with an audience question mm. around what what do people uh, what 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 do our listeners think makes a good horror game? Mm. Mm. I want to hear. Good question. What's yeah? Want to hear because <laughs> it's going to be different, right? It's going to be different, just like we've said. Like it's different to everyone. So I want to hear like other people's thoughts on on what you know makes a good horror game for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So one thing I was going to ask, but maybe we can add that into the audience question, is like, what makes, like, when you go into a, a house and it feels like a haunted house, like, what's the difference between a non-haunted house and a haunted house? It's like that nuance that you guys are talking about. Mm. And it's like, I guess that in game sense, what, yeah, what makes a good haunted game, or haunted game, horror game? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's something we talked about uh, before is the um, liminal spaces of, like, the old... Mm. In N64 games, PlayStation games, where they can't support a lot of characters, yeah. but these environments are built for a lot of characters. That's right, yeah. There's just this. <laughs> well, the answer is crappy hardware. The horror of Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. One other thing. One, yeah, other, one yeah. question. Real yeah. quick question. Real quick question. As horror writers, and I'm going to look at, I guess, you two at the bottom, uh, well, of the screen, which is Susie and Chantel, and um, inadvertently, if it's if it's a horror writer or something like that, is there? This is half in jest. This question and, and, and half not. Is there a word for? Okay, like if in, for Halloween, let's say, right? If your trigger was skeletons and pumpkins, this time of year would suck. Like it's fair to assume a lot of people aren't actually triggered by pumpkins. So why are pumpkins? The carved pumpkins. Why is it a scary thing? Like, obviously, it must be tied up with some kind of lore, I imagine, and um, and stuff like that. But is there a word in the horror world of like this, uh, for lack of a better word, superficial kind of bullcrap horror of mm-hmm. pumpkins? Like, obviously, again, it's it's like a tradition. Something. I mean, Not a, yeah, 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 yeah. That's bullcrap. <laughs> no, but like the, the superficial of being like, woo, scary, but being like, no, like the what we've just talked about is like a real scare is like a human condition or a reflection rather than a carved pumpkin kind of thing like is there a is there a word for that level of horror or something um what i brought up earlier the uncanny is definitely Mm. a relevant um word is one that you know i i could probably write you a paper on why carved halloween pumpkins are uncanny like the beauty of academia (laughs) bullshit anything um, <laughs> but like yeah it's you know pumpkins so like uh it looks like something i know both a pumpkin and also a face but yeah, they're not meant to face. look like that so now i have a weird feeling that's not right mm. hmm. yeah. i feel like that's going to be back to a pagan thing like i feel like 
you know how like Halloween's like oh look at the scary pagans doing the scary pagan stuff <laughs> like they must yeah. have done something like that it's got to be some sort of it's, callback it would, right? definitely uh, it, would, it would be linked to something like historically yeah. for sure it's like John according to Wikipedia uh, jack-o'-lanterns carved from pumpkins are a ye- yearly Halloween tradition that developed in the United States when Irish immigrants brought their root vegetable carving tradition with them it's common to see jack-o'-lanterns used as external and internal decorations prior to and on Halloween uh, so it came with the Irish immigrants, and they brought their own tradition of vegetable carving, root vegetable carving. As so there's probably like scary turnips and scary things like turnip. that out there. <laughs> as as partly Irish, I feel like I could ask this. It's up to like anyone could ask this. Uh, the thing is that the big thing associated with a lot of Irish people is the lack of root vegetables. Why are they carving into it? Like I feel like they could put that to better use. <laughs> the sacred root vegetables. Yeah, These maybe, are too maybe that's what it was. To maybe let's let's like <laughs> do them up nicely instead. Dress them, wash them. <laughs> do you have like you know how like in Duolingo there's like jokes? Like every language has its in joke. Yeah. The Welsh one is this guy who's obsessed with parsnips, <laughs> right? Like his name's Owen, and he loves parsnips, and he carves them, and he loves them, and he's like obsessed with them. Oh my god. Maybe our like Owen is like secretly this like really creepy horror guy. Yeah, <laughs> secretly Irish. Maybe. Creepy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also want to point out. Unfortunately, this isn't visual, so I can't show you guys. But uh, if you go to the uh, Jacko Lantern Wikipedia page, you'll see that someone has carved out the Wikipedia logo <laughs> out of a pumpkin, and it is like perfectly spherical oh. <laughs> and like perfect to the actual logo. <laughs> so. uh Oh, yeah, well, we can thank the tradition for that. Thank you, oh, Irish. Wow. It is scary good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Love the internet. All right. Well, on that note, we've learned what makes a good horror game. Yeah. Thank, thank you, everyone, it. for coming in to the what cafe. Mm-hmm. As we drink this pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> <laughs> You're so basic, Custer. <laughs> <laughs> I had my first Actually, pumpkin spice. Alex is the one that's obsessed with pumpkin spice. I had my first one the other day too. <laughs> I've never had one. I've never had one. I have two bottles of pumpkin uh, spice yeah, syrup waiting for me at the post office. Yeah. yeah, I spent a lot of money. It was wild. Yeah, I'd had a Petra station of all places. Oh, yeah. wow. That's how basic I am. Petra's station spice. That's what you want. Wait, Alex <laughs> won't eat anything, but yes, the Petra station pumpkin spices. Yeah, well, my my girlfriend Grace got bought it, and uh, I was like, no, nah, I'm not eating it. I'm not, I mean, not drinking it, not drinking it. I thought it was going to taste like pumpkin. It doesn't taste like pumpkin. It's like chicken salt. Yeah. It tastes like chicken. It, it, <laughs> it, doesn't, it, just, it tastes like pumpkin spices. I yeah. ate zucchini bread with the scared look on my face once, and it does not taste like zucchini <laughs> Or bread, really? It's cake, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, weird I like hybrid. I had it in um, the US, and I definitely thought I was being pranked. You know how like we'll give like a Vegemite with their butter to you know if you're an arsehole, mm. you'll like give it to the dumb tourists. You're like, ha, yeah. I'll have some Vegemite. Yeah, I was like, yes, zucchini bread. <laughs> that's totally a thing. Um, <laughs> Respect to the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that, 
Yeah. On that note, <laughs> back to the zucchini bread. Should, uh, wish wish you zucchini bread that tastes good. And, and happy uh, Halloween. Have a good happy fortnight. Happy, happy Halloween. Cafe Bullions is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBullions or by emailing us at hello at LiveBullions.com.